you can just hear the disappointment in those two disciples as they're walking along this road, this seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus. We had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped. We had hoped. I don't know when you've ever felt like that. When something that you wanted, longed for, worked for, expected, then seemingly just disappears. Sometimes we might call those the little deaths of our lives. These things that that we thought would, would grow and be alive, but then they disappear and they go away, and in a sense they, they die to us. Maybe it's a friendship that has been really wonderful and good, but all of a sudden it something changes and it dies. Maybe it was a, a job, or maybe it was just an idea, a hope that you have. You know, we all have these expectations, and, and these disciples did too, you know. Um, one, one writer said, one writer said, Jesus was executed by the system from which those disciples hoped he would set them free. And so this thing from which they were hoping to be free from, they had this expectation that perhaps, perhaps there would be an opportunity to be free from the Roman government, to be free from this oppression, to be able to worship God in a different way, in a new way, to have the Messiah with them, that everything would be revolutionary and changing. All of that is dashed because he's dead. Executed, killed, just like many of the other messianic claimants, those who had said that they were the Messiah, were killed. And so now, we don't know why they're going to Emmaus. We don't get any real clue here, but I'm assuming it's, it's like they're going back home. They're going back to their old lives. And now probably trying to figure out what, what all that means and talking about that and maybe living in some fear because... The typical Roman way was once you you took out the leader and then you came and you got the rest of the followers too. Some walks are just longer than others. And so I wonder how long that seven mile walk was. And so then Jesus comes. And he walks with them. And and, and I think that um, they don't recognize him probably because they're just so caught up in their own grief, in their own dashed hopes. So often in, 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 in my life, and I've seen it in other people's lives, you know, we, we get so focused on something negative that's happening uh, in our lives that we don't, we don't see the opportunities that are right in front of us. We don't see, often don't see the ways that even that, even that, some, that bad thing that's happened, that difficult thing that's happened, can open us to actually be a gift and a resource to other people. Last night I was uh, at, a, at a fundraiser for a, a foundation that I support. It's called the Beacon Tree Foundation. And, and it, it, helps, um, it, it, it helps families who have children with mental illness and, and helps families especially then pay for a diagnosis and then treatment 
of those children, especially if they have to go to an inpatient um, sort of situation, which can cost up to thirty or forty thousand dollars a month. Um, for that kind of, of serious treatment. So we're talking about some very serious, heavy-duty kinds of things. Many times, um, the reason why people get involved with that is because they have a child or a, a family member or something who deals with addictions or depression or, or something like that, and they end up um, committing suicide. And so the woman who's the new president of that organization told her story last night, and, and it really is was all about her son and, and his struggle um, with depression and, and with addiction and, and all of the ways that they really tried to help him um, get better. But ultimately, his journey ended when he overdosed on heroin. And so she, in her grief, began to wonder, well, what do I do now? How do I, how do I deal with this? How do I move forward? And... She sort of insinuated that, you know, all throughout her life, she'd been looking for a purpose. She'd been looking for something to dedicate herself to. And she wondered aloud if this wasn't too high a price to pay to find her purpose. But in her dashed hopes for her son and his life, she now helps give hope and life to other families, and to other children. But it took her a while to see that opportunity right in front of her, opened up because of this incredibly difficult and tragic situation. And so the disciples, here they are, their their friend, their, their teacher has been executed, and now here he is walking with them. And they're like, what does this mean? We don't understand. This was supposed to be something different. And so then Jesus comes and he's like, "Um, you idiots. I mean, you can almost hear the sarcasm in his voice when he talks to them. And he's like, don't you don't you understand? Don't you get it? And then it says he he walks them through the scriptures from Moses and all the prophets. So he's talking about the, you know, the law and the prophets. He walks them through the scriptures to say, this was supposed to happen. And man, you know, I wish, I wish I could have been there and, you know, um, had the recorder that I'm wearing right now so that I could re- have recorded how Jesus interpreted the scriptures to say all of those things. Because we've been left to try to figure that out ever since. Like, what? Well, how does Moses refer to Jesus? How do, how do the prophets refer to Jesus? How do we know all that? And we, and we have some ideas. But wouldn't that have been fascinating to, to have heard Jesus teach on the Old Testament, what we know of as the Old Testament, and, and to reveal himself in the midst of that to them. And yet they were still clueless. They're still walking along and they get, to, they get to Emmaus and, you know, it takes a while. It's seven miles, so, you know, a seven-mile journey is not short, um, and especially if you're walking. It doesn't seem too long when you get in your car, um, unless you're in New York City. But, you know, you're, 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 we're walking along and so they, they get about to where they're, they're going and, and Jesus goes on ahead, starts to go on ahead and they say, well, please, no, come stay with us. And that's, um, that's just hospitality, and especially in the Middle East, even to this day, hospitality is just one of those things. You can really dishonor yourself and dishonor your family if you don't provide hospitality. And so they, they come there and they sit around the table 
and Jesus is the one who then acts as the host, which is really sort of a flipping of, I mean, he's the guest, but he acts as the host, and he takes the bread, and, and he blesses it, and he breaks it, and he gives it to them. And that's when they finally recognize him. And there's lots of speculation about why then. Like, what, what is the thing? Is it, was it just sort of some magical thing? Or was it the fact that maybe these disciples were, had been with him when he had fed the 5,000? And he took that bread and he gave thanks for it and he broke it and he gave it to all those people. Maybe they'd been with him when, when he'd gone into people's homes um, with tax collectors and, and other sinners and sat at table and he, and he probably broke bread with them giving thanks to God because that's what they would have done. And that was a very Jewish thing to do. But was it because they had been in his presence before and they understood that that was something that he did very purposefully, very clearly? And they were changed in that moment. They were changed in that moment. I mean, we know what it's like, at least I hope that you know what it's like, that when you, when you meet someone and you, you, you work with them or, or you're a colleague with them or, or you're in some group with them, that you have, a, you have a certain kind of relationship, but when you invite them into your home or you're invited into their home and you put your boots underneath your, a, a common table, you know, you put your feet underneath that common table and you share a meal together, the relationship changes. The relationship changes. There's something about the food and the fellowship and the spirit that gets created there that changes the relationship you have with those people around the table. And that's why I really believe that this, the Lord's Supper is such a powerful symbol and sacrament in the life of our church. Because in a sense, when we come to this meal... Jesus does host us. He gave his broken body to heal and to make whole the world, you and me, so that all those little deaths that we suffer throughout our lives, we might come back and know that there is an ultimate hope that one day all is going to be redeemed. All is going to be set right. Every relationship, every economic injustice, every death will be resurrected and made new and redeemed in him. And so we come to this table and Jesus hosts us here and we are changed by it. If we open ourselves, and when we open ourselves to it, and even sometimes when we don't, there is power in this sacrament. We believe that Christ is truly present in this bread and this cup because the Spirit is present with us. It is not, you'll hear me say many times, it is not just some memory that we're remembering. God is powerfully present in this meal. And as those disciples were awakened in that meal, so we can be awakened to the new life that Christ has for us and for all people. 
And then we can be the ones, as we are awakened to that, to be the ones who then go, oh, our eyes have been opened, and we get right back on our feet, and we go right out the door, and we want to share that with everyone that we know. We want to share that kind of communion, that kind of fellowship, that kind of awakening with all people. We want to work so that everyone might know that there is this opportunity for them to not let all those deaths in their lives overcome them, but to be redeemed and renewed and to be healed. That whatever it is people are going through, however desperate it seems, that there is hope, especially as we come together as a community to support and love each other and to support and love others out in the world. Because we are not just for ourselves. This meal is not just for the people who come up to this table today. This meal is for everyone. To be welcomed here. To be fed here. To hear the word. To let it fill them with the spirit. And then to be sent out to be that message out in the world. William Barclay said, The message is never fully ours until we have shared it with someone else. The message is never fully ours until we have shared it with someone else. And that's what those disciples did. They they got up and they went seven miles back to tell their friends that they had seen the Lord, that what the women who had gone to the tomb had said was true, that Jesus had been resurrected, that he was alive. And so this story is is so uh, interesting to me because it feels to me almost like our lives. They start out walking, just going through, you know, they're going back to their daily life and then they're wondering, what is all this about? What has happened? They hear the word from Jesus. They experience him. And then Jesus gives thanks for all things. They eat. And then they go. And they tell. And then they're back walking again. And I think that's sort of a mirror for our lives that, that we're out there walking in the world, doing our things, and we're wondering about all of these things. We're wondering about our faith. We're wondering about Jesus. We're, we're wondering about life. We're wondering about the economy. We're wondering about Syria and Egypt, and we're wondering about Africa, and we're wondering about the United States, and we're wondering about politics, and we're wondering about our lives, and we're wondering about our bank accounts, and we're wondering about our retirement, and, and, and we're worried about that. But then we come, when we come to worship, we hear and it's not just in worship that we hear the word, but perhaps we hear it during the week through, through, through something else that awakens us. And we give thanks. Because we realize that everything that we have and everything that we are comes from God and returns to God. And we eat. And especially in worship, we, we share this holy meal. And then we are sent out to go and to tell And we're walking again. And so I pray on this day that you might be awakened to the gift of Jesus in every meal, in every aspect of your life. May you be awakened to the gift of Jesus, especially 
especially in those deaths that you're experiencing. Whatever hardship and trouble and difficulty that you are going through, may, may, may you be awakened to the gift of Christ in the midst of it. And may you, may you be filled with the Spirit in such a way that your heart may overflow with thanksgiving and fill the world with the message of Christ. Amen.